The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I am honored to welcome my guest, Mr. Percy Schmeiser. He's a canola farmer based in Saskatchewan, Canada. He is internationally known for being sued by Monsanto for patent infringement. I heard him speak at the Baker Creek Heritage Seed Festival in Mansfield, Missouri, where he told his story about the years that he spent finding and producing quality canola seed, only to have it contaminated by GMO seed in the field. So, Mr. Schmeiser, welcome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Mr. Schmeiser, I think it would be good if you could explain what happened, how many years had you been farming in Saskatchewan producing canola and breeding your seed to have high-performing quality crops? Well, I started growing canola about the year in the late 40s, probably 1947 to 1948. Canola was a very uh, little-known crop at that time, and I would say at that particular time, canola was probably half used for cooking oil and half used for lubricating oil. So uh, my wife, uh, we were married in 1952, and she came from a farm background with seed development. And so um, we became, we decided to, um, to really research for, for varieties of canola that were suitable for our soil or climatic conditions. So we've been doing it for a long time, and by the time we hit the 80s, we had developed varieties of our own that we felt was really suitable our farming conditions. Mm-hmm. And it's my understanding that especially with climate change, with the challenges of climate change, that seed saving and regionalized seed is becoming ever more important for true sustainability. That's correct. Uh, another thing, too, is that a variety of seed developed by anyone, whether it's a, a seed company or if it's an individual farmer, might be good for your local lo- uh, location or conditions. But you go maybe 100 miles one way or the other way, the climate is different, the soil conditions are different, and that's why it's so important. We have a saying here that one glove does not fit all. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me now about how you discovered that your canola had become contaminated with genetically engineered canola. Well, we first noticed it in about 1997, 1998, we have uh, some uh, land as run, uh, along the main power corporation line, and as a result of that, the companies would spray the uh, property next to, between the farmer's field and the road or under the power lines with the uh, Roundup uh, glyphosate. And we found out that uh, when they had done that or had a farmer do it himself, that there were some canola plants that did not die. And that's when we first noticed that there was something different to with uh, canola, and what uh, we, but there was no information given to us by anyone. It was a highly kept secret that there was such a thing as canola that was resistant to Monsanto's herbicide Roundup or glyphosate. And that's about the time that we noticed that there was something different, but we weren't aware of the conditions 
for what it would do. So your neighbors who were also canola farmers, I'm assuming that they were planting the genetically engineered canola, which was engineered to withstand spraying with the herbicide? Well, that's what happened was that there was in our whole area, and that was a big area, there were only three farmers that had grown it. We didn't find this out until it went to trial or to the court that my neighbor had grown it, and my neighbor had never said nothing about it, but he didn't even really know all the uh, all the conditions or what it really was all about. All he knew was that this new type of canola that he was asked to grow by Monsanto would withstand the chemical, or Monsanto's chemical Roundup herbicide. And as a result of that, he was not told that he could contaminate his neighbor with a new type of canola or with a gene that was in it that was resistant to glyphosate. And so nothing, it was kept highly secret at that time when they brought it out. And that's where what happened. Later on, we found out I was contaminated by by either bees or by the wind blowing the seed or, or the pollen from one field to another. But we were not aware of it then because we were seed developers. We were using our seed from year to year. And uh, that's what um, we were then finally charged with patent infringement because even though our seed was contaminated, we had no right to use our own seed because under patent law or later on under patent law, we were not allowed to use our own seed again, even though it was contaminated against our wishes. And this is decades of your own research that you did, decades of your own personal investment in seed saving and seed breeding to create a crop that was superior for your specific region. And then it became contaminated, as I understand, and now you're told that you can't save your seed either? That's correct. If you are contaminated, the court rule, it doesn't matter how it's contaminated. And as I mentioned before, by cross-pollination or or seeds blown in the wind, if that happens to you under patent law, you lose the rights to your seeds and plants, even though you've been... We were developing for 40 years or 50 years a new varieties to suit our local climate and soil conditions, and we lost that right to it. So it really ends up like it does now. It's a liability issue. Monsanto knows that if they introduce GMO canola or any type of crop or grain crop with canola in it and it contaminates uh, a next farmer's field, uh, there you can claim ownership of that crop or, or you're not allowed to use it again. How did Monsanto find out that your crop had become contaminated? Well, it, what what happened was that we... And we found out that there was plants, canola plants, grown along alongside of our uh, farmland. And we sprayed. We checked to see what what possibly would be happening or what has happened. And it was what what Monsanto would do. They anybody that had a canola field, they would go in to a farmer's field or the edge of a farmer's field, take samples and test it. And if they found out that it was contaminated. And I should say the rate of percentage of contamination did not matter. If you were contaminated a half of 1%, the court ruled it doesn't matter if it's 1%, 2%. And in my case, the highest that we found at the edge of our field was 8%. A lot of it was 1% or 2%. And even they took samples of my field and they said, even though it was, they found two fields that had no contamination, is they said because we used their own seed, there was a possibility there could be some contamination. 
How is it legal for Monsanto to go onto your farm field and take crops from that field for testing? Is that legal for Monsanto? No, it's trespassing. It's absolutely not legal for them to go on to go on anybody's field without a farmer's permission. And uh, when they were questioned about that, they said, "Well, in Canada, they have the right to go on anybody's field." Well, believe me. Their right isn't any different than any other country in the world that you, when you trespass that you uh, break the law. But the trouble is, how is a farmer going to take a corporation like Monsanto to court when they have a farmer who hasn't got the funds to do so? So that's what is happening. They use their power to over farmers' rights. Tell me something, Mr. Schmeiser. I'm curious to know how and why your neighbors chose to go with the genetically engineered seed. I don't know if you've had any conversations with them, but did they share with you what the selling pitch was? Did you have to use herbicides on canola as it was? Well, there was there was a number of reasons afterwards we found out. First of all, uh, they said that they would have increased yields you'd use less chemicals, and you'd have more control of the weed conditions. And that's what farmers were told. And so they were good selling points, but later on they found out that it it wasn't uh, what they were, is that they ended up losing control of their seeds or plants because if they bought the seed from, say, the corporation Monsanto, they could not use their seeds the following year, or if they did, they had to pay a royalty fee to Monsanto. And that's why... I guess it really, when I talked to my neighbor that to use it, to, and we were good friends with that neighbor, uh, he was told these things of increased yields, less chemicals, and more control of weeds. And that's why I guess they used it. And later they found out the yield was not greater. The increase, the chemical, there were there, the farmers now have found out they're using seven times more chemical than ever, ever before. But Right now in Canada, you can't buy, you can't buy anymore a GMO-free canola. So a farmer now is in a trap. If he buy, if he wants to seed canola, he's got to buy it from a company each year and use it, and then he cannot use it again unless he pays another royalty fee. So it's a total, total control of the seed supply of our country. And now especially, it's supplying mostly to four crops. That's corn, that's cotton, soybeans, and canola. I am told that the total amount of corn sold, uh, that is grown in the United States now is 90, 94% GMO. Soy, soybeans here are almost practically 100%. So you can imagine what indigenous nations are, are thinking about when they have their heirloom seeds or indigenous seeds now all contaminated with a GMO in it and then no longer have a control. So basically what the court ruled was that the patent law of corporations is over and above any farmer's law that previously had given the farmer the right to use the seed from year to year. We have a law in Canada which was called the Plant Breeders' Rights Act, where a farmer was always, always allowed to use the seeds from his own field year after year. And the court ruled that Monsanto's patent law is over and above farmer's rights. So mm-hmm. the courts gave... The corporations like Monsanto total control of the future of seeds. You know, what's so interesting is if you have this conversation with any of the representatives from Monsanto, what they say is that 
we can coexist, right? They use this word coexistence. And isn't it nice that we can have all kinds of farming? There's, there's room for all farmers. But from your experience, what this demonstrates is that because of contamination, there really can't be coexistence and keep farmers' seeds pure. No, it's impossible because you cannot stop cross-pollination or uh, pollination is not the only thing. Seeds blown into when transportation by farmers to, to the market or buying seeds or planting, you can't control it. And the companies say, well, you know, what they're going to do now is that they'll permit farmers to uh, to use their seed, but then if they do, they have to pay a license fee. And uh, to give you an example how much it means to companies now, before it used to cost a farmer approximately $1 an acre for seed, or if he used his own seed, about dollar an acre. A farmer now here to grow canola, it's GMO altered, has to pay from 50 to $70 an acre now for seed. So you can imagine the, what it meant for the corporations in profit by being able to up the price from a dollar an acre to 60, about $60 an acre. And the farmer has no other choice. If you buy seed, it's GMO in Canada. So, like our seed now that we developed was contaminated. We lost our rights to our seed, and we were not allowed to use it again. In fact, the court ruled that all the seed that we had developed becomes the property of Monsanto through cross-pollination. Oh, that is criminal. All of that work, all of that time that you devoted to that. Let me take one moment here and remind our listeners, if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, and we are speaking with Mr. Percy Schmeiser. You may have heard about him. He's the Canadian canola farmer based in Saskatchewan who was sued by Monsanto for patent infringement after his crop was contaminated by GMO seed. Well, tell me a little something about what's happened in the course of this. So Monsanto has sued you. They claim now that because your seed that you developed over decades was contaminated, it's now their property. Are you still able to farm? Well, if I wanna, if I wanna grow canola, I have to buy the seed from uh, from a, a company that's genetic older. I don't have a, cho- a choice anymore, and other farmers don't have a choice. If you were to buy seed canola seed in our country and you want it uh, GMO free you'd have to go say to Europe maybe like Germany or or uh, Australia and bring that seed in and plant it but I guarantee you by fall time or harvest time it would be contaminated and you would you could lose all your rights to your seeds and plants because it would be contaminated and would have that gene in, of Monsanto's in it so like I said it's a total control of the seed supply now Here's another thing. A lot of the farmers in our area feel that Monsanto didn't only come after me to get control of our seeds or seeds and plants, but they knew that we had developed a strain of canola that resistant to certain diseases we had on the prairies or other characteristics that they wanted, and they used that avenue of the patent infringement to get control of our seeds or uh, seeds and plants. And to give you an example, after the court case, the initial uh, trial judge ruled that all our seeds and plants that we had on hand, we had to deliver immediately up to Monsanto. So they they got basically 40 years of research for nothing, and we lost our rights to our seeds and plants, and we couldn't use them again. Hmm. In preparation for this interview, I 
did a search on Monsanto.com to see what they had written about the case, and sure enough, there's a page devoted to you, and it, it describes you as a patent infringer, which is so unjust because, to me, the fact that your investment in your time and your knowledge as a farmer, your scientific wisdom as a farmer, was all then transferred to Monsanto, and your crop was contaminated, and you can no longer grow the canola that you started with when you first came to Canada to farm. That, that's correct. And, you know, it it all, what they were really after was to get control of, like, the world seed supply. Monsanto is the world's biggest seed company now. And so uh, they went more or less from a chemical company to a seed company because if they have control of the seed, they can get control of all the heirloom seeds, the indigenous seeds. So not only my seed would be taken, but also the seeds that have been around for hundreds of years, they could claim ownership to it, and they are, especially in the corn area, where you have from Mexico many varieties of corn uh, that have been there for many years, and they can claim ownership if they just contaminate it. Now, the only way that a farmer could get some recourse if a company knows, a Monsanto knows that if they introduce a GMO plant, it will contaminate its neighbor. They know that. So then there's a liability issue. And a lot of cases now, people are looking at the liability area where they could take Monsanto to court. But that's easy enough to say that. But it takes thousands and thousands of dollars to take a corporation to uh, to court. To, to give you an example, it cost my wife and myself about a half a million dollars, $500,000 to fight Monsanto. And Monsanto legal battle was around two million dollars to fight us. But how can an ordinary farmer stand up to a corporation uh, under patent law on the liability issue? You just haven't got the money to fight these corporations, so you just give up. There's a case right now in Australia where a farmer is being sued by Monsanto for a million dollars. He's going to lose his total farm. It's because he was using his own state from year to year, and they claimed that he knew that it was contaminated and he shouldn't have used it, and it was his own seed. So how can a farmer, what it, had, what it really boils down, how can an ordered individual person, and it does many, many, many other areas where you have patent infringement, stand up to a corporation. So we've lost our sense of justice and the rights of farmers to use their seed from year to year, or the rights of anyone to use a certain product through patent law. Mm-hmm. And I know that there were many farmers that were concerned that with the genetic engineering of crops to be resistant to glyphosate or Roundup spraying, that eventually weeds would develop resistance because that's just what plants do. Are you finding now that the farmers in your region, you mentioned that they're spraying more herbicides. Are they also spraying additional herbicides in addition to simply more Roundup? Are they spraying additional herbicides and is anyone monitoring your water quality? Well, you see, to give you an example, they not only use it when the they use it before the crop is planted. They call it a burn-off, the burn-off weeds, and so they use a chemical like a case a glyphosate to kill the weeds before you plant your crop. When you plant your crop, like canola or corn, you spray it again, and sometimes you may. Farmers sometimes are spraying now seven times a year. Now, what is really, and this is something that really upsetting to my wife who did a lot of the research, is that they recommend now, and it's being done, you spray your, your crop like, say, wheat or canola or corn 
before it ripe, well, before it's total ripe. And to do that is they, then the crop ripens evenly. Like if you have a flat land or if you have hills, your crop would not always ripen at the same time. So they spray it with the glyphosate, which kills the crop and ripens it evenly. So now you have all that residue of Roundup or Monsanto's glyphosate in your wheat, in your corn, and, uh, and also it's a massive increased use of chemicals, mm-hmm. especially glyphosate. So instead of less chemicals than ever before, we're using hundreds of tons of chemicals more. So then you get all the, um, the contamination, your water, your soil, your animals. And what about when you eat it yourself? If it's not washed properly, how much glyphosate are you eating? And the, the, the new uh, virus, the cauliflower mosaic virus, or the agrobacteria oh, that you have in food that was never there before. So there's many problems that have arisen from the introduction of glyphosate. Uh, this item, or one of the policy that we're stating, less chemical use. Well, that's further from the truth. It's a massive increased use of chemicals. A company would never come out with a policy where they would sell less chemicals. It would, it, the stockholders or the owners of the company would stand for it. So when they said that, but it was a nice thing for farmers to hear, well, uh, chemicals are uh, a fairly high input cost for farmers. They would never go for something where the input cost, where they have to pay more for their input cost. So that is what happened. Now farmers are stuck for it. If you want to grow canola, if you want to grow uh, soybean, you can only grow GMO. Mm. It's a total control of the farmer seed supply. You know, one of the things you spoke about in Mansfield was the harassment that you and your wife received during the course of this law case. You talked about how you had received threatening calls and intimidation. Why did they do that to you, do you think? Well, I guess it was a matter to, uh, as an example, we were fairly well known in our community and for various involvements that we were in. And I think uh, they wanted to make an example of us, like they did on uh, two other farmers in the in the U.S. And it was it that was one of the hardest things to fight. One thing was the contamination issue and the uh, patent issue, but the other thing is the threats. When you're when you're told one time by one of the Monsanto executives, he shook his fist in my wife's face, my face, and said, "Nobody." Nobody stands up to Monsanto. We're going to get both of you somehow, someday, and we're going to destroy you. When you have a multi-billion dollar corporation make threats like that against you, you can imagine we had many sleepless nights, and you can imagine what the stress my wife went through. And then also they would come and sit in our, our driveway and watch what we were doing all day or what she was doing, phone calls. Uh, you better watch it. They're going to get you. Or they would watch when we had our hired help or ourselves working in the field, they would sit on the road alongside our farms and watch us from morning to night uh, what we were doing. So you can imagine the stress. They would go to our neighbors and say, well, if you support Percy and Louis Schmeiser, we're going to come after you and you won't have a farm left. So we thought we lived in a democratic country, but you can see what could, what a corporation can do to try and destroy and take the rights of people away. Yeah. I remember you describing the loss of the community fabric because some of the farmers were offered gifts for ratting on neighbors, and it was a way to break down the social fabric of the farming well, community. Well, that was one of the main things, too. They, uh, they would advertise, uh, if you think that someone is using 
in the, and that was in their brochures or in the in papers, various farm papers, where they said, if you think your neighbor is growing Monsanto's GMOs without a license from Monsanto, report your neighbor to Monsanto and we will give you a free gift. And that free gift could be a Monsanto leather jacket or it could be Monsanto chemicals, which was, a lot of times it was the chemicals. And uh, if a farmer would do that to his neighbor for whatever reason, Monsanto would send two of their uh, investigators. Monsanto had a very large police force and still had investigators that go out to farmers, but they would send two of their investigators out to a, a farmer's place, which could be his neighbor that uh, had reported that na- that particular person, and they'd go and say, we have this tipper rumor that you're going Monsanto's GMOs without a license, and the farmer would say, I'm an organic farmer, I'm a conventional farmer, I don't want to use your GMO stuff, and they'd say to a person, you're lying. If you don't confess, we'll take you to court. You won't have a farm left. So you can imagine when these Monsanto investigators left a farmer's home, what a farmer thought. Which of my neighbors did this to me? Who's causing me all this trouble? So you had that breakdown of the social fabric. A farmer's not working together, scared to work together, scared to talk together, scared to talk about farming operations, scared to have coffee together. So it's a real breakdown of our social fabric. And believe me, when you think back to our grandparents who homesteaded it or came to the, our country, both the U.S. or Canada, from foreign lands to make a new home, and, and farmers or people had to work together to build our country, our hospitals, our schools, our churches, and so on. Now, through Monsanto's policies, we have a breakdown of that real so, rural social or real, not only the rural social fabric, but the community factories, they're breaking down. And then to me, I think that's the worst thing that could happen but the introduction of GMOs, the breakdown of our social fabric through Monsanto's policies. Yeah. What's going on on your farm now, Mr. Schmeiser? Well, we're retired. We're in our 80s now, and we um, have it rented out. But, and it, but the farmers, it's rented out. With the, the, the farmers can grow whatever they want. And so farmers are growing canola. Uh, if they want to grow canola, it has to be a GMO canola because they don't have no other choice. The choice is gone. Yeah. Then also, then they, like I said before, they promote the use of glyphosate or Monsanto's Roundup in the fall time. They can use it on wheat or any other crop to make it ripen, to kill it, to make it ripen sooner. But you can imagine what you're eating now when you're eating bread or anything that's sprayed, how much, what residue you're eating now and that's in your food. And that's why so many people want labeling. They want to know what they're eating, what they're feeding their children. And that right has not come yet. Uh, as much as we'd like to have labeling. So we should be able to know what we are eating. And I think it's a violation of human rights when we don't know in our country what we are eating and our freedom of choice is taken away. So there's a lot of things that have happened with the introduction of GMOs. It was more than introduction of glyphosate. There's a whole your rights, the rights of people being taken away or the rights of indigenous people, their heirloom seeds, or all that they raised under the control of a corporation now, and you don't have a choice about it. Well, Mr. Schmeiser, I want to thank you so much for telling your story. I'm so glad to have it on record and for many more people to hear what happened to you. In closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to thank my guest, Mr. Percy Schmeiser, who spoke at the Baker Creek Heritage Seed Festival in Mansfield, Missouri, on seed ownership, a people's right to save seed, He is a farmer in Saskatchewan, Canada, and he battled the GMO BMF Monsanto. 
I One want to... final comment I would Please. like to make is that a farmer should never, never, ever give up his right to his seeds or plants. He'll become slaves of the, of the land and slaves of corporations. Fight, fight, and fight hard for your right to keep the rights to your seeds and plants. I totally agree with you, Mr. Schmeiser. Thank you so much. And I want to thank everyone for joining us and remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at Kopian Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Mr. Schmeiser, thank you and your wife for all of the work you did to promote seed justice. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure.